Soon after dispensing CW7, the world froze. All life became extinct. The precious few who boarded the rattling ark are humanity's last survivors. This is a quote from the movie Snowpiercer. And I think I alluded to this um, in last, uh, uh, last Monday's episode. I'm not personally, like, this isn't my favorite movie, but this quote highlights something that we're going to talk about today. SAI. What is SAI? I alluded to it the other day, and now we're finally going to get that answer. And the biggest question of them all is, could SAI actually solve our global warming problem? Well, let's talk about that on today's episode of The Science Behind That. Welcome to The Science Behind That with Atticus Hamilton. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome on back to The Science Behind That podcast. I am your host, Atticus Hamilton. And as you heard from the, I guess, rather uh, overly dramatic introduction I had there, Today we're going to be talking about SAI, and um, SAI is something I alluded to, uh, let's see, on Monday when I was talking about carbon capture. So first, before we get too deep into today's episode of the science behind that podcast, I first want to thank every single one of you for tuning in to today's episode. Um... And I'm going to invite all of you guys to go and grab yourselves a nice steaming hot cup of coffee, add a little bit of maple syrup to it, not too much, just a little bit for those autumn flavors, and uh, let's jump right into it. So first, before we discuss SAI and what it actually is, we need to first briefly mention why I'm talking about this in the first place. I recently had a conversation with somebody um, about global warming and the current um, the current state of atmospheric carbon dioxide. Last year, if I remember correctly, um, the Earth pumped into the atmosphere around 38.9 billion tons of anthropogenic carbon dioxide. And I did an entire episode on global warming a couple months ago. So if you haven't heard that, I encourage you to check that episode out. But in a very brief summary, anthropogenic carbon is carbon dioxide that's produced by humans. And, you know, these are from um, vehicles like cars and airplanes, but it's also from industry cement making, um, energy production, all sorts of different things that are foundational to our civilization. Most of them uh, produce carbon dioxide to some extent. But nonetheless, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody not too long ago about this, and it, their their idea was that... Um, it got onto like electric vehicles and they were saying how electric vehicles aren't really better for the environment um, because they cost a lot of carbon dioxide to produce because of the way the energy is being produced. Um, 
number one is that really is dependent a lot on where you live. Like I live in Colorado and uh, at least in Fort Collins, 30% of their power is renewable. Uh, or sorry, 50% of their power is renewable energy. And their goal is by 2030 to be 100% renewable energy. But herein lies the problem. By 2030, they intend to be 100% renewable. Frankly, our climate doesn't have that long um, to wait. You know, we really need to start curbing... Uh, carbon dioxide production as soon as we can because otherwise we are going to surpass two degrees Celsius. Um, now I'm not going to get into what that means for the earth. Uh, again, you should go check out my climate change episode if you want to hear more about that. But it is important to mention that because the sad reality is that we cannot transition to 100% renewables overnight. We just can't. That's impossible. It's going to have to be a gradual thing. And therein lies the conundrum because the time to start transitioning was probably back in the 1980s, if I'm being honest. Um, But that doesn't mean it's too late. And so... That's when we talked about carbon capture and now SAI. So what is SAI? SAI is stratoatmospheric aerosol injection. And so what does that mean? Well, stratoatmospheric means the stratosphere. And so the layers of the atmosphere kind of go like this. So you have the Earth's crust and from zero to 14 and a half kilometers into the air, that's called the troposphere. And that's where you have like a lot of commercial airlines flying. And then from 14 and a half kilometers to 50 kilometers above that, that's the stratosphere. And that's where you would have supersonic flights, uh, suborbital flights, and stratospheric balloons. So like weather balloons, weather balloons are all in the stratosphere area. Generally, there are some exceptions, but most of most of the time, they're in the uh, atmosphere, uh, the stratosphere. Then from 51 kilometers to 85 kilometers above the stratosphere, that's the mesosphere. And um, up there you have sounding rockets, um, ICBMs, meteors, etc. There's not that much sort of weather or atmospheric involvement at the mesosphere. And then from 85 kilometers to 600 kilometers above that, that's the thermosphere. And then um, above 600 kilometers, that's just space. Um, so SAI, as the name would suggest, really affects the stratosphere. Um, and so what is it? So stratospheric aerosol injection is basically the process by which particulate is injected into the stratosphere that would result in creating essentially a reflective layer in the stratosphere that would reflect away more light, uh, more solar radiation. And this would, because of that, this would mean that less solar radiation would reach the ground and less would get caught in the atmosphere, resulting in a cooling as opposed to a warming of the earth. So that's all great, but what does this mean? So SAI was first 
proposed in 1974 by a Russian climatologist. I'm going to butcher this name. I'm sorry for any Russian uh, listeners. Mikhaili Ivanovich Budiko. Um, and he proposed the idea of this um, simply from observing atmospheric sulfate injection by volcanic eruptions. So, for example, Krakatoa in 1883, when that erupted, that injected a very large amount of carbon dioxide, um, but not just carbon dioxide, dust and soot, and more specifically, sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere. Now, when that happened, everybody thought that um, we were going to see a mass warming. Um, But that's not what happened. In fact, with Krakatoa, the surrounding environment cooled down um, between 1 and 3 degrees, depending on the location of nearest the event. Um, And at first, that was sort of perplexing to the scientists that were observing this. But what it turned out was that um, the sulfur-rich dust, specifically sulfur dioxide, reacts with water vapor. And when it reacts with water vapor in the stratosphere, it essentially creates a reflective layer that um, uh, reflects away a lot of the ultraviolet radiation coming from the sun um, back into space. And that that results in cooling of the Earth. So... The question is, the first question, I think, is um, would uh, SAI actually cool the planet? Well, so far, um, all data suggests that it would. Um, Another example is in 1991, a volcanic eruption um, called Mount Pinatabu, released a ton of dust and sulfur dioxide into the air. And again, scientists observed the same sort of phenomenon, several degree cooling around the area that that happened. And so do we have the technology then for this to do this? And we do. Uh, And in fact, there were a lot of projects uh, in um, talks. There were a lot of talks about potentially experimenting with this and injecting sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere. Now, in the movie Snowpiercer, they used some compound called CW7 that if I remember correctly, it was like a type of Freon. Um, so <laughs> all, da- all the data suggests that the results in Snowpiercer of creating a snowball earth wouldn't really happen um, with... SAI if you are using something like sulfur dioxide. But that doesn't mean that there that there aren't any potential bad side effects of it, but we'll get to that in a minute. First, we're going to talk about um, the, the potential benefits of it. So there were many simulations that were conducted um, via the Community Earth System Modeling System. Um, in 2017 at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, and it showed that SAI has the potential to prevent further atmospheric warning along with maintaining a relatively stable climate. 
Now, this, though, is sort of dependent on repeated injection. So the thing with SAI is that it doesn't, the sulfur doesn't stay in the atmosphere forever. I mean, if it did, Earth would still be a snowball Earth from uh, the volcanic eruptions way back um, during the first ice age, um, around, I think it was like 1 billion years ago. Um, so sulfur, the sulfur dioxide sort of precipitates out of the atmosphere, and that can range usually between one to two years or at most one to five years. And so this, so if SAI were actually to be implemented, it would require repeated injection of um, sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere to continue cooling. Now, I'm not sure if um, people are necessarily saying, we should implement this and then not have to worry at all about um, about uh, global warming or reducing carbon dioxide levels. I'm not sure if that's really what's being stated. It would more of, if it could work, it would more give us time. It would give us time to um, transition away from fossil fuels because the sad reality is it's not going to happen overnight. And we do need, we would need something to help us transition, to give us more time and avoid climate catastrophe, which unfortunately it looks like we are heading towards at least by 2040. So considering all of this, um, what are the potential downsides? Well, the potential downsides are that um, it could lead to a reduced rainfall in certain areas of the world, uh, which results in loss of crops and access to fresh water. Um, And along with that, um, it it does have a potential to have a variety of, um, of... consequences that we're not aware of but the only way to find out is through experimentation in 2017 a um, Swedish research team was going to launch a weather balloon into an area above northern Sweden with that was filled with sulfur dioxide as a way to um, study um, whether or not it could be effective at reducing Uh, temperatures. Unfortunately, that experiment was never conducted. Um, And that experiment was never conducted because certain, I feel bad saying they're environmental organizations because they're really not, but certain organizations, I'm not going to name them, um, uh, that have been famous in the past couple of years for doing things like taping uh, taping participants to buses, they blocked that and said that the risks outweigh any potential benefits. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a scientific podcast. I try and avoid politics as much as I can, but unfortunately, sometimes science becomes politicized. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but what I am saying is that 
nothing, no scientific breakthrough has ever gotten done with people not doing anything because of a potential risk. The MRI machine was given to us as a result of research that would eventually result in the creation of nuclear bombs. So from the research that gave us nuclear bombs, we also got nuclear magnetic resonance imaging, which has saved countless lives. We have gotten nuclear energy, which personally I'm a big fan of, um, and I may do an episode on nuclear energy. My point is that science is all about asking questions, and sometimes the best way to answer or to find the answer to a particularly controversial topic like this is to do research. And the reason I bring this up is because um, in 2019, um, there were several hundred civil society organizations from around the world that were calling for a multilateral ban on solar geoengineering. Now, what is solar geoengineering? Solar geoengineering is basically SAI. So SAI is solar geoengineering. It's when we use um, chemistry or engineering or a variety of other um, techniques to change the way light hits the earth. And so these organizations um, were saying that it should be banned because there's a potential for it to be used um, as a weapon. And as a scientist, that kind of drives me crazy because anything can be used as a weapon. And that's where science and law need to work together. The law prevents the science from being used as a weapon. And the science innovates us to a brighter tomorrow. Because ladies and gentlemen, there will come a point where people people in my generation and the generation after me are going to have to ask these tough questions. Some of these being, are we going to use SAI to buy us more time while we transition to renewable energy? But we'll never get there if the research to get there is being blocked. And this is the bigger thing, ladies and gentlemen. We could do the research now to determine if this is a legitimate option or we could wait until the people of tomorrow have to make a decision without the research behind them on what to do. Because ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I don't give up too easily. And so I'm not one to sit back and say, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about the climate crisis. We are humans. We are ingenuitive. We are great at functioning under pressure. And we will find a way. The question is just when. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that uh, helped inform you about SAI. And now I'm not saying I'm a, a big advocate of it. But I'm an advocate of the research. So I'm advocating less for implementation of it now and more for researching it, studying it. Let's perform practical experimentation with this to see 
if those risks that were outlined are really that high, are really that probable. If the probability of those risks is 9% or 50%, that's a big difference. And that's something that we should determine. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to today's episode of The Science Behind That. And I will catch you all on Monday. And until then, have a fantastic weekend. And remember, stand up and question everything.